0: Church, let's start by praying together and just asking God to help us hear him through his word this morning. Father, thank you for how you've enabled us to worship you so far this morning, and we desire to continue to worship you as we submit ourselves to your word. Lord, please speak to us as we read your word, as we think about it, as we imagine what you would want to do in our lives through what you have said. And Lord, we pray this morning for anyone who has entrusted themselves to our prayers, for those who in this moment are ill, or those who are alone, or those who are in jail, those who desperately need you and your healing and hope and forgiveness. We pray for those ones that we love, and we pray for any loved ones this morning who, ha- who need to work, who are laboring this morning. Would you be with them, Lord, and would you make yourself known to them even as they work. We love you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 27. We're going to read Psalm 27 in a moment. If you need a Bible, we have them in the corner of the rooms and in the front of the rooms. Feel free to get up and grab one. If you don't have a readable Bible of your own at home, we would love for you to take one of these with you so that you could be feeding on God's word throughout the week. So please, if you don't have one, take one. So we're going to continue our summer series in the Psalms this morning. Over the years, the Psalms have become a vital part of my personal walk with God. The book of the Psalms is the ancient prayer book of God's people. It's full of cries from the heart, honest cries. As we walk through it this summer, we're going to see God's people complaining God's people asking for forgiveness. God's people celebrating God's mercies in their life. And bringing their laments to God. What I love about the Psalms is these are not just sanitized religious statements packaged for us. They're real cries from real people that then we have gotten to sing. So each one of these that we look at each week was originally prayed and often sung by someone and then the church the body of Christ has taken them over the centuries and we've used them and adapted them into our own prayer lives and in my experience of following Jesus the psalms are the quickest way for me to revitalize or to jumpstart my own prayer life when I feel like I'm stale or I don't know what to pray for a prayerful slow reading through a psalm or two or three can be just what my soul needs to pray again and that's what these ancient words are meant to do, to help be a vehicle through which we can connect with God together. So let's, let's start this morning by dwelling on Psalm 27. I'm going to read it. You could follow along with me in your Bible or on your phone or whatever you're using. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple." For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It's a beautiful psalm. It's one of my favorites. It starts with these joyfully confident statements of David about who the Lord is in the face of of adversaries, in the face of threats and dangers. The Lord is my light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life. These are truths that we find throughout the scriptures. Just a couple quick examples. First John 1.5 says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then listen to how John describes The eternal Son of God taking on flesh in John chapter 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love that. That God is light, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The light pierces into the darkness. We need to slow down for just a second and think about how important it is that our God is light. That in him there is no darkness, there is not a hint of ugliness or meanness or cruelty. Only what is light and good and life-giving. And this light, this pure goodness, brings us illumination. This light of God reveals to us reality reveals to us who God is, and reveals to us who we are in a way that we could never know apart from him. God reveals himself to be creator and sustainer of all things, and father and savior, as we sing about this morning so far, who did everything that was necessary for our forgiveness to bring us to God. That light of illumination helps us to know who he is, but it also helps us to know who we are. As we get to know who God is, we learn who we are in a way we could never have known apart from him. And that's an important connection between knowing God and knowing ourselves. As we follow Jesus and get to know Jesus better, we learn who we truly are. We learn who God made us to be and who our truest selves are in him. For example, one of the most life-changing things that we could know about God that we receive from his light is that God is love. God is love, so all God does all the time is love. To cease to love would be to cease being himself. Knowing that about God, then we go to ourselves and learn he loves us all the time. With a persistent, unchanging, never giving up kind of love. All the time. That truth right there is knowledge of ourselves that we could only have as we know God. We know he is love and that he loves us Imagine what that would be like to go through life and not know that about yourself. That you are deeply and dearly, constantly loved by God with an unshakable love. I can't imagine much more important to know about yourself than that. And that's what comes from our God, who is our light. The Lord is our light, our salvation, the stronghold of our lives no matter the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Joy, or sorrow, or danger. And this is such an important point for us to have in mind and to remind each other of it. Challenging circumstances are not the result of God moving away from us. Challenging circumstances are not God somehow withholding his love from our lives. God is who God is always in the midst of dangers and threats, whatever the dangers might be for us, whether that's our bodily health that's the problem, or our finances, or our jobs, or relational challenges that we're facing, whatever the threats are that agitate our soul, David's experience shows us that we need not fear. Why? Because of who God is, and because of what flows out of God, because of who he is. Look again at that psalm and listen to all the ways that David describes his real life threats. He says, Evildoers who assail me. Kids, most of us don't use the word assail very often in our normal conversations. Assail just means to attack. So, evildoers who attack David, adversaries and foes. That's another way of just saying enemies. Enemies. Those who seek to harm him. And David vividly says to eat up my flesh, those who just want to destroy and tear us up, who we are inside and outside. And then later in the psalm, look at verse 12. He describes his enemies as false witnesses, people who lie about him and breathe out violence against him. So the ESV, English Standard Version, translates it breathe out violence, which is what we read. If you looked in the New International Version, it says spouting malicious accusations. David has real, not just theoretical enemies who are actively seeking to harm him. They have in the past and they will in the future. Yet despite all of those threats, despite those enemies that he talks about, he is able to say, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? He trusts the Lord as the stronghold of his life. Jay touched on this last week, too. We saw it in Psalm 3, the idea of a stronghold or a fortress. It's a theme that we'll find throughout the Bible, but especially in the Psalms, it's one of the favorite themes, that we have a stronghold, a fortress. All of us crave that. We crave a stronghold, the place we are safe The place where everything is okay, the place where we're not stressed out and feeling anxious, completely safe. Desiring a stronghold like that is actually really good. The problem is when we try in our own energies to construct our own strongholds. As soon as I take things into my own hands, an attempt to create a stronghold using my own resources through my own thinking or cleverness or maneuvering in some way, things don't go well. Because our self-made strongholds turn out to not really be strongholds at all. They're just strategies to avoid anything that might harm us or disturb us. When we try to create our own stronghold, we try to remove everything from our lives that might be a threat, that might cause danger, that might harm us. And then when life is going okay, we feel like it works. The stronghold we created is functioning. The problem is, as soon as an actual threat emerges in our lives, then what do we feel when our stronghold that we made isn't so strong? We feel fear. and worry and anxiousness, as soon as something comes into our lives that is dangerous, we find that our self-made strongholds are really, really flimsy and not able to protect us at all. They give us the illusion of protection and security, but that only works as long as life is going well, when we have nothing to worry about. And what kind of stronghold is that? The kind that we feel safe in as long as there are no threats around us. Instead of attempting to construct our own flimsy strongholds, God desires that we receive Him as our stronghold. We don't need to create a stronghold. We receive one, our loving Father in heaven. And as we learn to run into Him as our stronghold, we find that in every circumstance that we find ourselves in, we are safe in every circumstance. Each circumstance is an opportunity to experience God's constant shielding around us and his protection of us. You might have noticed that when David talks about the threats in his life, none of them are really if statements. They're when statements. When evildoers assail me. For him, these were sure things in his life, not just hypotheticals. God as our stronghold does not mean he removes the threats from us. It doesn't mean that Everything around us is tranquil and calm, and that our circumstances are easy. And David's life is an example of that. What it means is that in the midst of that, in the middle of challenging circumstances that would appear to be able to harm us, he is our protection, he is our stronghold. Church, we have nothing to fear, ever, not because of our tranquil circumstances but because of who our God is, who makes us safe. He is an impenetrable stronghold all around us. Some of the most helpful and practical examples that I have encountered come from prayers called lorica prayers developed by the Celtic followers of Jesus centuries ago. A lorica was a piece of Roman armor, a breastplate that covered the front and then the upper back of the body. The Celtic Christians had a unique and vivid way of asking God to protect them with that armor in mind. The most famous of the Lorica prayers, you've probably heard, we sing a song with parts of this in it. It's called St. Patrick's Breastplate. Here's a portion of that prayer. He says, Christ be with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ within me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left. I have found for myself when I pray in that way with great specificity of Christ being all around me, shielding me from everything that could harm me, God fills my heart with his peace. He makes his protection known to me as I call out to him in that way, and I would commend that to you. And if you looked up, if you just Googled Lorica prayers from the Celtic Christians, you could find many others that they developed over the centuries The Lord is my light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life. These are important statements of truth about who God is, but they are not merely abstract or theological statements about God. In this psalm, they're personal. There's a difference between knowing a truth about God in your mind and experiencing that truth about God in your life as you live. Here, David is giving us unchangeable truths about God that he has experienced, that he has lived with God. For example, he's not just saying that God is light, but more than that, he's saying confidently confidently and joyfully, God is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. David knew God personally and intimately. And this personal knowledge of God is what transforms us. It's what changes us in a way that an abstract truth about God never could change us. Think about a campfire for a second. Think about what you know and how you have experienced a campfire on a cool summer evening. There's a massive difference, isn't there, between being told by someone what a campfire is like and having it described to you versus actually being there for yourself. Someone could do a great job of describing the orange, yellow, and blue flames of the fire, the crackles of the wood, the smell of the smoke, and the feel of the warmth of the fire on a cold summer night. We might even, depending on our wiring, like to learn about how fire works and why it's burning. But all of that would pale in comparison to getting to see, hear, smell, and feel the fire for yourself. In this Psalm, David is showing us that God is the living God, who we get to encounter and experience in our real lives. He's not just abstract theological truth, he is a person who can be felt like the warmth of a campfire that you're sitting around. David knew God personally and so can we, but how? That's the question. How do we grow in our lived experience of God in that way? How do we grow in feeling and knowing his constant presence and protection and comfort in our lives? How do we learn to say, he is my light, he is my salvation, he is the stronghold of my life? Well, I think the key for David and for all of us is found in verse four. It says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This was David's priority his desire, the one thing he wanted more than anything else. He wanted to be in the place where he could meet with God, where he could be with him, to gaze upon his beauty, to seek him and worship him and delight in him. This is communion with God. David is describing firsthand personal experience of the living God. And look what he does in verses 8 and 9 he prays to God and asks for this very thing. He says, You have said, God, seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. If we want communion with God, unity with Him in this way, able to gaze upon Him and enjoy His beauty, we need to seek Him. Seeking is active. It requires looking and searching and finding. Kids, David uses two words in this verse here that you use for a game that a lot of you like to play. Do you see them up there? Your face, Lord, do I seek? Hide not your face from me. Do you see hide and seek up there? Think about playing a game of hide and seek. How do you find the person who is hiding? You look for them, right? You seek them. You search for them. And if you don't find them in the first place that you look, you go to the next place, and you look there for them. You seek them there. And if you do that, and you still don't find them, it's either that you haven't looked long enough in enough spots yet, or the person you're playing with is unbelievable at hiding from you. In a game of hide-and-seek, there are two two roles, hiding and seeking. And here's where things with us and God are very different than a game of hide-and-seek. God does not hide. God does not hide from us. He has not found the best hiding spot that none of us could imagine and hidden himself away just anticipating us finding him. God does not work that way. But even though God doesn't hide from us, sometimes we can feel like God has hidden himself away in the best hiding spot ever. We can feel like God is distant from us and not active and present in our lives. David must have felt that at times. That's why he asks God, don't hide your face from me. If you feel that this morning, that God is distant from you, and that David's experience is very far from yours, you're not alone. Seasons of feeling like God is distant from you are an unfortunate part of a life of faith in Jesus. They come. They're hard. We need to remember, though, that when we can't seem to find God, it's not because he's hiding. Quite the opposite. David prayed... God, you have said, seek my face. He was telling something that God knew already. God said, seek my face, because God loves and wants us to seek him. God wants to be with us. And when we seek after God the way David did, we find that before we ever desired to seek God at all, he was seeking us. We are called to seek a God who is seeking us. The eyes of the Lord are always looking, they're always seeking. Think, for example, about Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal left his father with his inheritance and spent all of the money on his pleasures, and he was left destitute in the middle of a severe famine. The prodigal son came to his senses and decided that he would go back to his father. That was his only hope. But he was going to go back and ask not to be his son, but to be his hired servant. His plan was to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But look at what happens when the son seeks his father in Luke 15, 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The prodigal's father's eyes were seeking him and saw him from a long way away. That father shows us what God is like. When we decide to seek the face of God, we find ourselves already sought by a loving father. He is looking at us before we ever turn to look at him, as if we look and meet his eyes and realize he's been watching us our whole lives. He's been right there, not hiding. His gaze, his loving, compassionate, forgiving, healing gaze is what draws us to him. And this should be an immense comfort for all of us because it teaches us that God's gaze is not dependent upon our performance. We don't need to coerce God in some way to get him to pay attention to us. He is love and he loves us. Not only do we not need to earn his love, but our unfaithfulness, our imperfections and brokenness rather than causing him to avert his gaze from us and look away actually draws him to us because he loves to heal and forgive. That's who God is. Here's the thing, though. If you're like many of us in the room, you desire communion with God, the way that David described, that one thing. And you understand what I just said. You understand and are deeply thankful to be a sought-out one by God. But you still find it challenging to really experience the reality of God's nearness in your life. You want the one thing David want, wanted, to delight in him, to gaze upon his beauty, but he still seems hidden to you. If that's you this morning, the first thing I'd recommend you do is something that I do regularly when I feel that, exactly what David did. Tell God that you want to seek his face and gaze upon his beauty and that right now he feels very far away or hidden from you. Tell him that. Ask him to help you to see him and experience him. Because the truth is, none of us are able to experience him unless he moves in our heart by his spirit. Unless God acts within us, we will not be able to encounter him and experience him. And then after we cry out to God like that and tell him that, we can take some practical steps to seek him in our lives. Before we will be able to delight in God, we have to apprehend God. God apprehend meaning seizing or grasping it originally meant perception or comprehension if we want to delight in him we have to be able to see him and to know him and as we see him and know him we will delight in him but before we can do that we have to seek him we have to start with seeking and an important part of seeking is our attention our focus. If we need to, if we want and need to seek God, we need to set our attention on Him. Focus will be required. Our attention on God will always precede our grasping of Him and experiencing Him. Many of you know that during the week, I love to walk and pray throughout Peshtigo and Marinette and Menominee. I love to walk and pray in our communities. I love to be in the place that God has called me to minister. And some of you have had the experience of waving at me through your car window and me not responding. (laughs) If I have missed your wave, I'm sorry. Sometimes it's just the glare of the sun on the window and I can't see who's in the car. But usually, it's that the focus of my heart is so in prayer or in the conversation that I'm in that my attention isn't on the car driving by me at all. My attention is not focused enough outward to be able to see the friendly face and wave driving right by me. My lack of grasping your nearness to me though does not mean that you weren't near me because you tell me later that you were near me, I know that. Instead, my inability to grasp that you were near me was a failure of my attention and focus. As I was preparing this sermon, I was walking through Peshtigo over by the park, and I walked right by one of you. I had no idea you were standing right there, but thankfully, you yelled my name, and you got my attention, and once you had my attention, I was able to grasp the friendly face nearby and we had a delightful conversation. In a similar way, for many of us, one reason that we might not be experiencing God's presence in our life is that we are simply distracted. Our attention and focus is set on other things. And like me, missing the friendly waves, we simply miss all the ways that God is with us throughout our day. But as we rely on God's power to seek God, We can trust that he will make himself known to us in very deep and personal ways to us. With our attention on him, our gaze fixed on his beauty, we will increasingly apprehend him. We will sense him and grasp him. And the desire that we have to know him and be with him, like David's, will grow. And here's the thing. When we experience God that way in our daily lives, and our hearts are full of joy and delight in him, Our lives cannot help but be affected. When we experience him that way, our lives increasingly take on the kingdom ways of Jesus that we saw throughout the Sermon on the Mount because it changes us. This Psalm is a vivid example to us of what true faith is. It assumes faith throughout it. The act of dependence upon the living God who we have access to in our everyday lives. Pastor and author A.W. Tozer wrote, Faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. Faith is not a once done act, but a continuous gaze of the heart at the triune God. Believing is directing the heart's attention upon Jesus. It's directing our heart's attention to what is really true. That is so much of what a walk of faith is, of a long obedience in the same direction learning to direct our heart's attention and gaze upon the reality of Jesus among us by his Spirit. We are safe, secure, and loved. And what will make our hearts the happiest and most secure is living in that reality under God's direction and under God's constant care, knowing that his face is turned and seeking us. So if you look at the very end of the psalm, David ends this prayer song with hopeful words that anticipate continuing to enjoy his one thing that he wanted more than anything else. He says it a little differently, though. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's another way of saying to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He was confident that he would continue throughout his life, lived in the land of the living, to gaze upon that beauty and experience the Lord in his everyday life. That what God had done in the past, God would continue to do in the future. He had provided for David's needs. He had guided him on right paths, paths that led to green pastures and refreshing still waters. And God would continue to do that. So much so that David was able to say at the very end of the Psalm, wait for the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. This is a deeply trusting waiting. It's a confident decision to not do what is only God's to do in our lives. With that waiting, David and all of us get to experience the reality that the Lord will be my light and my salvation and the stronghold of my life. Because God is our circumstance, church. God is our circumstance. As our stronghold, He is the most real and true thing around us, no matter what else is swirling. Take a moment, kids especially, I want you to imagine a stronghold. Maybe it's a castle or a hidden cave or a high tower. Now imagine that you're in that safe place, a place that cannot be moved and it cannot be shaken no matter what happens around that place. Think of that picture of God as your tangible, real fortress with you, snug inside of it. That's your circumstance. That is your real life reality right now. That is where you are all the time, in him. The amazing thing about living in the kingdom of heaven is that our reality is bigger than we can see with these eyes. We need to gaze with the gaze of the soul. We, each second, are in God's loving, safe presence. Church, may you know and feel and experience that presence this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word for Psalm 27, for the picture of a life of communion and delight in you. You are our light, you are our salvation, you are the stronghold of our lives. Father, would you be that for us this week? Give us stronger and stronger experiences, greater tastes of the warmth of your presence. We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.